0: There's been a lot of promises on social media about how you can eat certain foods or avoid certain ones or take certain supplements to naturally balance your hormones. Regardless of your age or life stage, we can all relate to the not-so-fun effects of when hormones are out of whack. So naturally, there's a desire to do whatever we can to keep them balanced.
1: But can food and supplements serve as a solution? In today's episode, we talk with menopause diet expert and registered dietitian, Liz Ward. She answers all Of our burning hormone questions. Let's dive in. Okay,
0: so our guest today is Elizabeth Ward. She's a registered dietitian and award winning nutrition communicator with more than 30 years of experience counseling patients and writing about nutrition and health. Liz holds a bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and a master's degree from Boston University. She is the author of several books, including Expect the Best, Your Guide to Healthy Eating Before, During, and After Pregnancy, and is the co-author of The Menopause Diet Plan, A Natural Guide to Managing Hormones, Health, and Happiness. Liz blogs about a healthy lifestyle at WebMD and the website Better is the New Perfect.
1: Liz, we are really excited to have you. I feel like having you on as a guest has been a long time in the works. I don't know if you know this, but Carolyn and I have been talking about having you on the podcast for uh, at least a year. Oh, yeah. Like, Like many, many, many months before we even reached out to you, we've been talking about wanting to get you on the podcast. And... Our, the episode that we did previously um, on perimenopause, we did two parts on it, was super, super popular, and we just kept thinking, "All right, what is the perfect topic to get Liz on that, like, will, will like her intelligence will shine? Our listeners will be so happy to hear it." And you and Carolyn came up with it. I had nothing to do with this episode topic, by the way. All I said was, "I love that idea." So welcome. Well,
2: thank you very much. I'm so happy to know that people were thinking about me. I mean, that's nice. I mean that that you that you think I have something to offer your listeners. That's great, and I I can't wait to talk about uh, menopause and perimenopause and postmenopause today with you.
1: So, if you don't mind, will you start with giving our listeners like a refresher on what happens during perimenopause?
2: Okay, so perimenopause can last on average about four years, but up to a decade. <gasps> um <and>, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't cry. It's okay. <laughs> and it
0: starts earlier than most people think. That, or it can Yeah, I, I think it starts
2: around for natural menopause around the mid-40s. Although there are women that have premature menopause, um, and there are women that have um, you know, certain forms of ovarian uh you know, not failure, but reduction in their 30s. So, but for most women, they're going to actually reach menopause around age 51 or 52, which means that it's really like early to mid forties where you're experiencing these symptoms, which include um, hot flashes. uh, Your periods get very wonky. You know, they're kind of all over the place. Their cycles either are longer or shorter or you know, know, just uh, heavier or lighter. And um, so hot flashes, um, weight gain that seems to come out of nowhere and settles around your middle, mood changes, sleep changes. And, you know, really perimenopause is not diagnosed based on some sort of hormone test, you know, blood test. It's diagnosed based on symptoms.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Can you not even diagnose it based on any blood work?
2: You know, it's not a good idea to rely on that um, because think about it, hormones fluctuate all throughout the day. Your the sex hormones do all throughout the day and all throughout your cycle. So you probably will never really nail it with one um level of, let's say, estrogen or whatever mm-hmm. it is you're measuring. And you know, doctors really don't like to do that. I mean, they'll probably do it for you if you ask them, but I'm not sure what it will prove. Perimenopause is really um, more based more for most women on their symptoms. Wow.
1: Okay. So then, is there a good resource for like a checklist or a quiz or something? Because I feel like personally, as much as you know, I love my medical practitioners, I don't know how well versed they are in menopause you know like i still see an ob-gyn i mean she's mostly delivering babies and then oh, my then
0: over you yeah mine was over i love her to death but she was over me once i stopped having babies yeah i think that's the money maker
1: uh, oh totally and also that's that's where their focus is right and then my my primary is a dude
2: yeah yeah I get, you know, I get it. And uh, this is the problem for uh, midlife women. They don't know where to turn. And um, so they're not getting a lot of information from their practitioners and their practitioners are certainly not doing it like ahead of time. For example, you know, you go in there, you're around 40, 42, 43, you should be having the talk, you know, (laughs) the menopause talk at that stage. You know, remember the talk you had with your mother or some (laughs) other adult? you know, about puberty, you need to have that again in your 40s. So women are like, uh, what do I do? What do I know? Who can I turn to? Let me talk to my friends. Let me look on social media. Let me, you know, Google it because they're just not getting the information that they need from their medical professionals. Now, there are a lot of great um, organizations out there like the North American Menopause Society and also a book that I heavily rely on for women in just explaining all the changes that go on in their bodies is the Menopause Manifesto by Dr. Jen Guntner. She is amazing. She is amazing. So, um, you know, she will give you the straight dope on exactly what's going on. What's nonsense, what's not. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would be nice if you could go to your, uh, GYN and say, please explain this entire transition to me. But, you know, they don't get a lot of training in, yeah. uh, medical school about menopause. Like, a few hours, maybe even mm-hmm. even the OBGYNs, you would be shocked at how little uh, menopause is uh, concentrated on. So there My you have it.
1: Well, and so obviously, like today, we're going to talk about nutrition as well, like in that phase. And I would say as dietitians, we didn't get really? any training
2: on it at all. No, I mean, I barely got training about pregnancy, yeah. you know, and, and and you would think like, you know, I was at a very prestigious hospital in the Boston area. And it's like, how did I miss the pregnancy stuff? Um, so, you know, I I didn't get that. And I I didn't even really know what menopause was as a 23-year-old dietetic intern. Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. I mean, we we just don't get that kind of training. So now we're teaching ourselves. And that's actually one of the reasons why Hillary Wright and I wrote this book, because we were talking to each other in our late 40s saying, is this happening to you? Is that happening to you? Cause we're exactly the same age and, and menopause happened to us. Perimenopause happened to us at exactly the same time. Um, and so we didn't know where to turn. So we said, okay, this is an opportunity. Let's go do all the research and, um, write something that's based in science so that, you know, women can have something to turn to.
0: Yes, and there, there. But we're going to link it in the show notes. It is fabulous. It is like having your best friend. Like there, you're not very knowledgeable, best friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. But can you? Um. So we're going to talk a little, you know, and we're going to talk about how we might or might not be able to influence these hormonal changes. But can you give us a little refresher on exactly why we are having these hot flashes and? Why we're seeing this, you know, weight gain in our belly or middle section. You know, why, just a little refresher, why these things are occurring, because that's going to play into diet in just a little bit.
2: So um, what happens when perimenopause occurs is um, the estrogen project, sorry, estrogen production goes down in your body. And, um, it's a natural process of aging. Um, that's the other thing we're aging at the same time, which we have to remember. And I'll come back to that too. When we start to talk about nutrition and so that, um, reduced estrogen level and also the fluctuating estrogen levels too, that you have during perimenopause will, um, contribute to hot flashes um there's something about the effect of you know a plunging estrogen level on the center the part of your brain that thinks you're you're um overheating and it starts to react um the other thing that happens is yeah
0: i've never heard anybody give a scientific reason for why the hot flashes are occurring
2: really yeah wow okay um so and and then um We don't know exactly why, but um, we do know that if you gain weight during that perimenopausal period, that it will more likely gravitate towards your middle. Um, That is a fact, we just don't know exactly why. So it's kind of an association, but uh, I don't think that, that anyone's ever scientifically made the leap and said, well, you have plunging estrogen levels, and therefore, you know, the fat that you gain goes to your midsection it's more of an association. So that's, that's an important point. However, it happens and women get, you know, really upset by it. Um, and I don't blame them. And then the other thing is, you know, just the mood changes, you know, this, uh, the estrogen levels, every cell, just about every cell in your body has estrogen receptors. So in knowing that, you can you can now understand why there's a laundry list of symptoms um, for perimenopause, including that brain fog, the mood changes, your brain is not quite functioning on all of its cylinders because it's going through a transition. You get it back. So don't don't be afraid. Oh, um, you do get it back. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but It's trying to adjust. It's adjusting. This is a new phase of life and it's adjusting. So um, you know, other symptoms are joint pain, muscle pain. um, But again, it's because there's receptors everywhere. Um, Women notice they have drier skin. um, Their skin isn't as taut, isn't as tight. um, And that's again, a drop in, in estrogen levels. So and, but, uh, but again, I have to say that um, you're aging at the same time and we need to keep that in, in our minds because not all of this is probably due to uh, menopause itself. But um, women seem to notice those changes, they seem to be more dramatic. Got it. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I hadn't um, or I'd forgotten about when you and I, Liz, when you and I were talking um, in advance is i mentioned i feel like i am a lot more sensitive to carbs they affect my blood sugar more i feel like i can um you know if i um that i really do better on kind of a moderate middle range just slightly lower kind of carb approach and i very much feel that at my current age in perimenopause and you had um and i I felt like it's very easy for me to gain weight from overindulging in carbs. And you had pointed out, which I'd forgotten, that, you know, as your estrogen reduces, your um, insulin sensitivity decreases. Mm. So it naturally makes you a little bit insulin resistant. Did I say that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it does make you... Yeah. Yeah. There is some evidence that the decline in estrogen increases insulin, um, you know, sensitivity. So, you know, so what ends up happening is your body can't really handle, you know, the, as many carbohydrates, let's say, um, as it used to. The other thing that's happening as we get older is we're just less active. And a lot of people are way less active at 50 than they were at 30. Mm. And if you think about activity, because you're not chasing after little kids all the time, right? You know, that was my exact
1: thought is I was like, I'm not constantly moving after small children and, and literally forgetting to eat an actual meal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like you never sat down back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: You didn't sit down until you crashed that night, right? <laughs> yeah. Until you crashed in bed and hopefully prayed to stay asleep and then have a kid wake you up. Yeah. Um, right. And that's really the way it, it, it is for, uh, you know, a couple of decades. And, you know, if you're not physically chasing after them, you're running out to get them at practice or to bring them home or to you're moving all the time. And when you're moving, your muscles are gobbling up the glucose that's in your blood. So you really don't have, um, you know, as much activity. So you could have a higher, uh, slightly higher, um, you know, uh, risk for type two diabetes over time. If you don't maybe change the composition of your, of your diet. And Carolyn, you were talking about just that, just that the tighter range, you know, and Mm -hmm. Hillary and I always say, you know, we have a razor thin margin in terms of uh, calories now. I mean, we really do. And that has to do with our age, but it has to do with menopause too. And it has to do with how much we move. So there's not a lot of room for messing around Um, having two brownies instead of one. There's not a lot of room for that as you uh, get older and that's okay. You can still have fun. Um, I mean, life isn't over. I'm just saying we have to pay attention to the fact that our calorie needs go down and also that we should probably be eating more protein and less of the refined carbohydrate, Mm -hmm. but not to be afraid of carbohydrates.
1: Yeah. 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 So I want to move on and talk more about nutrients, but as you were talking, I have to, I just have to make this one comment. So you were talking about, you know, the age, right, at which we start to get into perimenopause and you were talking about how we had to have, like, the talk, you know, with your doctor. All I can think about is (laughs) as women, it is just so royally unfair that most of us are going to be going through perimenopause and these big mood shifts at the same time that our children become teenagers. Oh, yes. Like, yes. you are in it right now, and I am literally staring down the gauntlet of it. And I I'm like, in
0: it and this living. is mean. Yeah.
1: This is just mean. Like, we're going to go through these crazy mood shifts, and so are they. All I have to say is, God
2: help my husband. I'm living <laughs> it
0: along with a 16-year-old and an almost 13-year-old.
2: It is fun times. I've <laughs> um, been there. I have three girls. Yeah. Um, Been there. Um... I think the, the, um, thing that to do there is to educate yourself as much as possible about trying to remember what they're going through and what you're about to go through so that you can keep your head, you know, because, uh, we don't want that, you know, we don't want anybody bashing heads, um, or we want to minimize that. We know we're going to have some of that sass and some of that, you know, the mood swings on, on both scores. Um, but Uh, I think, you know, for us, we're the adults, right? And we need to know if that's going to be the case with us, where we're going to have teenagers and we're going to have perimenopause at the same time. We need to figure out a strategy. How are we going to get through that? How am I going to get me time every day? Even if it's only a half an hour, what am I going to be eating? How can I get better sleep? And if my sleep is so disrupted by hot flashes and mood swings, I need to speak to my practitioner about uh, how... I can get through this. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so it's mainly that decline of estrogen. What? Are there certain nutrients that interact or influence this decline? Or are there, no, not really. I wish,
2: I wish it was that easy. I mean, I I would, you know, we'd all, none of us would be, uh, having hot flashes and bone disease and heart disease and things like that because we'd be able to eat what we what we wanted and you know replace our our estrogen it just doesn't work that way. The one thing that I can say um, and that I think we should talk about is soy foods um, and also uh, phytoestrogens in general, but soy foods mainly because most of the research <laughs> has been done on soy foods and soy foods contain plant um, estrogen. Plant estrogens, called phytoestrogens. Phyto means plant, and they are um, they are a form of estrogen, but they're so much weaker than estradiol, which is the main form of estrogen in the body that you know does all those wonderful things during our, chi- our childbearing years. And, um, so it's not, you know, it's even the, even the soy associations, even the trade associations say, we're just not there yet. We cannot say that eating soy reduces hot flashes, despite a couple of studies that have come out recently that, um, uh, you know, weren't particularly, uh, well done, um, that say that that might be the case. So it's kind of, you know, uh, on balance. Yeah. It works for some women, doesn't work for some women. Um, and it really has to do with the health of your gut. You know, if your gut's unhealthy um, and unbalanced, you you won't get as much of an effect from eating these soy foods, such as edamame, tofu, tempeh, um, roasted soybeans, which are delicious. Um, but it will not hurt you to have, a, you know, a serving of soy uh, every day and see if that helps your hot flashes. If that works for you, that's great.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think some people are still a
2: little scared of
0: soy. Back yes. From. Mm-hmm. It, but my understanding is it, it's generally safe for most women. There's no cause for concern
2: nearly all women and i think in fact and i may be speaking out of turn hillary is my cancer expert she also works at dana farber um, cancer institute i think she told me the other day that it's even safe for women who've had breast cancer so that was like the big the big um scare so as long as you're eating like a whole food a whole um even a fermented food uh that's a soy product um, that's a good idea like a soy powder yeah I, I might stay away from that um, because you want the food you know the food yeah. has the matrix of all the different nutrients as well. And just as an aside, um, there's a study that came out maybe last year that said that eating one serving of soy a week reduced cardiovascular disease by 17% wow. in people wow. so one serving a week. Um, so just you know find a way to include it. Yeah.
1: Tell that. listeners. So first of all, I love the fact that you focused on the food element of it. Cause I do think that that's where it gets murky with soy. Like there is a lot of, um, uh, like isolated soy ingredients added to, you know, our food system. Um, so getting like a soy protein isolate in some protein powder or bar or whatever doesn't, is not the same thing as what you're talking about. Um, even though protein is important at this stage of life. But so you talked about how eating just one serving can lower your risk for heart disease. Why is that so important at this stage of life too?
2: So um, when your estrogen levels Drop, Um, you know, once menopause has occurred, your risk for heart disease increases. So, women have about a 10 year grace period, if you will, as compared to men in terms of developing heart disease. And estrogen is um, considered to be uh, very protective against heart disease in women. So, it keeps your blood vessels very flexible and resilient um, and, and helps to reduce, you know, blood pressure because of that. They're not always as tight and, and, uh, resisting, uh, the flow of blood. It helps to keep your, um, blood cholesterol lower. Um, your LDL, which is the bad cholesterol is lower. And once menopause occurs and you know, you've lost the the bulk of that estrogen, your risk starts to go up. So your diet has to, um, reflect those changes that are happening to you because of menopause and and midlife and aging. And um, your diet really should be lower in saturated fat, um, higher in fiber, um, or adequate in fiber, I should say, because most people just don't get enough fiber. So adequate in fiber. Um, And also you need to um, be exercising on a regular basis, which would have been, good all throughout your life, but it's even more important now to keep that um, HDL level high, the good cholesterol and the LDL level low. So um, we're presented with this, you know, situation, this scenario and including soy, like instead of like maybe a really high fat, you know, fried meat, um, would mean that you're getting less saturated fat. You're getting more plant protein. You're getting some fiber Mm -hmm. from the soy and you're getting the vitamins and the minerals that are also in the plant food. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We, Uh, we eat a lot of edamame in our house, not we, you know, it's just a very popular item among everybody including my two picky eaters. So I'm like, okay, sweet. I think I'm actually doing that, and I wasn't even realizing it.
0: Yeah. So our big, um, you know, kind of title or theme of the episode was, can you balance hormones with food? If what I'm hearing is correct, not really? Or can you elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, not really, and probably no, but it also depends on the hormones that you're talking about. Um, and when we put the um, hormones in our subtitle, um, we didn't mean the sex hormones. You know, we didn't mean that you, you can eat and you know get all your estrogen back, um, and you know everything's going to be fine. We are really talking about things like insulin. You know, which yeah. yes, food does influence your insulin level. Now, <laughs> insulin is the hormone that gets the glucose from digestion into your cells. I mean, you need that um, to be um, working properly for so many reasons. Um, not only because of you need the immediate energy, but you also want to prevent you know, type two diabetes, you want to prevent cardiovascular disease. Um, There's some information that it's related to brain function and possibly Mm -hmm. dementia to have constantly elevated blood glucose levels. So, you know, we were thinking of... uh, Hormones like that, um, like leptin and ghrelin, which are your hunger and satiety hormones, are influenced by sleep patterns, let's say. Um, so how do you, you know, get through the day so that you're less hungry, so that you can control your weight, so that your insulin level is where it should be. I mean, it's they're all very much related, but I have to say that you know, that kind of promise that you hear a lot in social media about balancing your hormones is not quite there yet. I mean, it really is not possible unless you're talking about certain hormones.
0: Yeah. Well, and one thing that I discovered in my research um, for my cookbooks is all your hormones, you know, you hear the word hormones and you think your sex hormones, like estrogen, testosterone, that kind of thing. But All your hormones, your hormones also include thyroid hormones. It includes insulin. It includes, you know, leptin, all the ones that you listed. And they're all somewhat interconnected. So when one gets a little out of whack, there's going to be at least some subtle repercussions in the levels of some of the others. And And that's what I've discovered. So really, anytime you can... You know, even if you're not able to directly influence your estrogen levels, you know, which we can't with food, but or we don't doesn't appear we can. But um, you can getting any of your other hormones in balance or more back on track is going to help usually the health of all your hormones in your body.
2: It's true. And I think endocrinology, which is the study of all those hormones and the glands that produce the hormones has been oversimplified Mm -hmm. on social media Mm -hmm. so that, you know, women who are looking um, for ways to quote, balance their hormones, Um, are, you know, kind of fed this oversimplified, um, you know, uh, idea of I'll just fix this and that's going to fix everything. And it doesn't, it's incredibly complicated, but I do want to say something about cortisol because that is, you know, the hormone that again, is getting so much press on, um, on social media um, as a hormone that you can control. Well, cortisol is produced when, you know for for a lot of reasons. I mean, cortisol levels go up in the morning because they're supposed to wake you up. They're supposed to, um, they work with melatonin. Like melatonin is another hormone that makes you go to sleep at night and cortisol, you know, helps you to wake up. But if you're under a, a lot of stress, which a lot of people are, a lot of women are in this phase of life, um, your cortisol levels um, can go up. And this is really from, You know, the way back when we were cave women and cave men and a big animal was coming at us and trying to eat us and we were like, ah, we got to get out of here and cortisol was the hormone that said okay release the blood glucose into the um into the bloodstream shut down the brain a little bit cuz we don't need that function and get out of town so it's like the fight or flight response but now in our modern life um being under chronic stress stress is meant to be short lived not Chronic, Mm -hmm, and if you are under chronic stress, there is um, a chance that you know that will contribute to weight gain because what it does is it keeps your blood sugar elevated, keeps you in this always on position when Mm -hmm. you really and you're never really off. You know, you're never really down here and relax. So, can food influence that? Well, if if that is your your thing right now and you're in a lot of stress, like I was for like. The years when I was caring for my mother and teenagers and trying to work and you know, I was probably like way up here and I shouldn't have been. Um the, if that's your situation, then maybe you should be avoiding like a lot of extra refined carbohydrates, maybe not so much alcohol. So you need to do whatever you can and work with your body to try to get those cortisol levels down. But there is no magic in getting cortisol levels down. And it's it doesn't mean that if you get them down that everything, else, every other hormone in your body is going to be fine. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah.
0: I saw Ooh. the effects of elevated cortisol or I have, um, firsthand. I had a period of about two to three years just extremely high stress, um, due to some health issues in my children. And um yeah, I'm finally feel like I'm back on track. And a key part was really figuring out how to de stress mm-hmm. um properly and regularly. But I when I my cortisol was elevated and it stayed elevated even afterwards, um, you know, I definitely saw that weight gain in the middle of some be perimenopause, but I I know cortisol played a role and, you know, diet plays a part, but then also the key part was de-stressing.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing, women in midlife have so much going on. I mean, even on a good day, right? I mean, you're, you may be working, running the household, doing both, caring for Children, teenagers, whatever age, caring for an aging parent or two aging parents um, and trying to keep it all together while you're having these perimenopausal symptoms and you can't sleep and you're aggravated and you're angry and you're stressed. And carving out that time for yourself is critical because, um, this is a tough period, but you're going to get through it. There is going to be another, you know, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel, but how are you going to do it without cracking is always the, you know, the, the question you have to, everyone has to figure it out themselves.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. They, they, that's the hardest part, right. Or the, or what can be frustrating is you have to figure out what works for you. Like we could each sit on here and talk mm-hmm. about what we do. It doesn't mean that that's going to work for you. yeah. Um, So, okay. So Liz, my question then for you is in this stage of life, what, uh, you know, do you have a short list of nutrients um, or foods that people should really focus on? I mean, I know we talked about soy. I know we talked about carbs, but you know, are there other nutrients, maybe not menopausal related, but a- appropriate at this stage of life, or maybe menopause related. Yeah,
0: if any are benef- could be beneficial.
2: So, um, yeah, I have a long list. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hold on, let me get out my hand of paper.
2: It's really just similar to, you know, what like Carolyn would talk about with, you know, anti-inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a plant-based diet, and that's really where we went in the book is focusing on plants. Now, when people hear that, they say, "Oh, does that mean no animal products?" Absolutely not. It means a plant-based diet. Um, we like animal products. I mean, we we put we put those in in our plan. Um, but you know what we also did was we we don't really like anything that was out there. There is no menopause diet, okay, per se. There's been one study about you know, the effects of diet on menopause, and it was done in the year 2000. So um, that's a long time ago. Wow. And um, so what we did was we looked at you know the Mediterranean diet, we looked at the DASH diet, we looked at all the plant-based diets and said, well, these are nice, but they're not quite appropriate for women after 50, let's say, who need more protein because protein wasn't exactly the focus. So that brings me to the nutrients. Um, protein is you know, you women hear a lot about protein on the internet. Oh, you should be having 150 grams of protein a day. You know, from a woman that's eating 50 and then it'd be expected to go to 150 is just crazy. So um, you know we talk about how to do that, but we say you do, it's it, you do need more protein because after 50, your body does not process it as efficiently and you need it in conjunction with uh, exercise, would uh, resistance training mm-hmm. in order to build and preserve the muscle because the muscle is a metabolic engine that you're going to need for the rest of your life for so many reasons. So I would say protein is a huge focus for us, plant and animal protein, but we really you know, focus on plants. People are not eating enough fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes. So Um, really working those in there because they're anti-inflammatory, because they have the fiber that you need, because they have the vitamins and the minerals that you need. It's so, so important. And when you focus on what to add, you know, all these Mm -hmm. things to add, then the other stuff tends to fall away, right? Um, So you don't, you're not as tempted maybe to have, you know, chips or or a ice cream or a brownie for a snack because you've made the commitment to work in some yogurt or some fruit. So it's a very we have a very inclusive approach. You know, you can eat everything that you want. You can eat it all. It's just a matter of of a, of amounts. You know, you don't have to do anything radical in order to uh, to be in good health. How do you feel about protein powders? Um. So we prefer. Uh, protein foods, like the, you know, more whole protein foods. Um, Because I've never met a a high protein food that I didn't like. I mean, you really can't, you know? Well, I mean, first of all, they're all delicious, whether they're plant or animal. I love them. Of course, the, the fattier ones, like the processed meat maybe, or the really fatty meats would be as, you know, occasional foods, not everyday foods, but they still have vitamins and minerals and protein in them. You know, they don't, they're not devoid of, of anything. So, um, the protein powders, I would say use as a secondary source. Like if you really cannot get enough protein in yeah, maybe half a scoop, you know, here and there throughout the day, but I wouldn't rely on them because I like the matrix of what's being provided in the high protein foods, you know, there's just too much going on there yeah. to, uh, you know, simply rely on a powder. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. question. Well, you see, you I see protein powders on, I mean, especially on social media a lot. And more recently I've been getting this ad. I don't even know who the company is for, but I've been getting this ad that pops up. That's like, uh, it basically the gist of it is like, this woman was taking this protein powder and she felt bloated. And so then she took some quiz and now she's on a different protein powder and she's doing so much better. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, no, no. (laughs) And, but then also, you know, and, and Carolyn and I have talked about these, there's collagen out there, there's creatine out there, you know, there are these singular protein powders, um, which they, I want to say they behave very differently in your body, but, Really, like, we're meant to get a variety of proteins. Mm -hmm. Um, So, anyway, that was why I wanted to ask you. I wanted to know what what your, why you liked whole food first.
2: And you did a beautiful job of explaining it.
0: Okay, so protein. We need to focus on that. What else?
2: Um, calcium and vitamin D I'll lump them together because they have to do with bone health. And you know, there's kind of two chronic conditions that you're at greater risk for after menopause, heart disease is one. And we talked through that, but bone disease is another. So, um, you want to make sure your calcium level is up to par, which is 1200 milligrams a day, which is roughly four servings of dairy foods. Now I don't get that. So what I do is I take a little bit of a supplement in terms of calcium um and you know get my two to three servings of dairy um throughout the day uh, vitamin d i don't think it's possible really for and this and i this is just my theory for anybody to get it from food uh you know enough from food every single day so it's not just for menopausal women but you need 15 Is a 15 micrograms 600 international units i'm still not yeah, you comfortable using yeah. the micrograms, uh, but you know, you I take that every day too. Um, but vitamin D you know, it's not found in very many foods Mm -hmm. naturally. Uh, Salmon, tuna, um, and milk are really the the big ones. So if you're not having those every single day, you probably need a supplement. So those those you need to um, be watching out for. And you actually need less iron. So if you're taking a multivitamin, uh, take one that has, you know, very little iron or no iron. And that's because you're not getting your period um, every month after menopause. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where you lose iron when you're Bleeding, that's how you lose iron. So once you're past menopause, which is 12 months in a row of no period, um, you, then you're in the postmenopausal phase and you, you really don't need iron. Um, some of the other ones would be the omega-3 fats. Um, omega-3 fats are necessary for brain and heart function and also vision. And um, so they're really good for um, for everybody all throughout the lifespan, but especially you know when we're in that phase of life where we're aging and um, we, we've lost some estrogen. So if you're not eating a fatty fish two times a week, and I include two, Tuna in that as well. canned tuna is an easy way to get omega threes in. Then you should consider uh, taking a supplement. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So in that list, I, like I, we've talked on the podcast before about how uh, valuable omega threes and vitamin D are for mental wellness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, like with vitamin D, you can go above that 600 IU um, to ad- cap out at 4,000. Just There's the cap, but yeah, yeah, a day, but you can go up, um, on vitamin D and it's, you know, it has great anti-inflammatory benefits, um, great for mental health. So what I like, like what I, my whole point in bringing that up is that, you know, you're getting multiple benefits out of taking these, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and then, so the iron, I hear you on the iron, but what I was thinking about too, is if you're in the perimenopause stage of life. Um, and your periods are getting heavier, your cycle is getting shorter. You actually probably want to get your iron checked because you could be at risk of being low in iron.
2: Exactly. You could become anemic um, if yeah. you have a very rough perimenopause and your periods are very heavy. So um, after menopause occurs, no, you probably don't need the extra iron, but uh don't eliminate it. Um and don't eliminate high iron foods um during perimenopause too, because you want to make sure you have enough iron. A lot of women complain about being very tired and it's simply because they don't get enough they don't consume enough iron to counteract their losses. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, this
2: this is awesome. Well,
0: let me ask you a question that I know probably listeners are wondering. You know, we've talked about the um, gaining weight, particularly in the middle section. Is there anything, is there any eating approach or, you know, is there any really thing you can do? Because sometimes it feels oh. like nothing you know, all your efforts, nothing works.
2: So I'm so glad that you brought that up because, um, I think we should talk about what kind of fat that is. It's called visceral fat and visceral fat surrounds your organs and it's deep. It's under the muscle wall and it's different than subcutaneous fat, which is just under the skin. Like you could pinch it and like feel the the fat cells. Um, but you can't really get at this visceral fat. Um, so, uh, it's, it's not as good for your health because it um, produces... Um Compounds that actually increase your risk for heart disease and type two diabetes. However, uh, contrary to what um, is being thrown around on the on social media a lot on the internet, visceral fat is no harder to lose than subcutaneous fat, and um, the the method is the same. And that is, um, you know, a calorie reduction or a calorie um, increase in terms of your physical activity, a calorie deficit somewhere along the way, um, whatever combination that is. And, um, you will, you can lose visceral fat. Now I tell you my own story. Um, I gained 10 pounds during, uh, perimenopause. A lot of times like yeah, I'm sure you guys get it too. People say, well, you're a dietitian, didn't you know, you know, what you're supposed to do? And it's like, it's just what happens. Your body changes. And, um, it's not as easy with the same methods right. to accomplish the same goal. So sometimes it takes something a little more intense, um, you know, um, for you to lose that visceral fat and maybe some some of the subcutaneous fat um in your 50s than it did in your 30s i remember i would say oh, i've gained five pounds i'm just gonna go out and start running a little bit more and bam it would come off it doesn't happen to me that way anymore and again this is just purely anecdotal and it's partially because your body composition has changed. You have less muscle. Um, you're not moving around as more. So you have to kind of think strategically, what can I do? Um, and I I really recommend, you know, just a gentle calorie deficit, one that you can live with on a balanced plant-based diet that's adequate in protein. The The resistance training, you know, at least twice a week. And, you know, 30 minutes of something else. Uh, walking, running, cycling at least, you know, five times a week. And I know it can sound drastic to people who have never had to do something like that, but it's not just for your appearance. It's actually for your health as well.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing I think that is important to remember is like, it's so easy to really focus on like our, you know, our physical appearance. um, But but making those changes has the, you know, has a dual benefit.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has so many benefits. And I I don't think I've said this before, but you know, after menopause, you can live 30 to 40% of your life. And that's a lot. And again, that's mm-hmm. not a, a statistic that your, you know, GYN sort of presents to you, like we were talking about in your forties, like What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this time of your life, with this stage of your life? How will you handle it?
1: I won't have to buy tampons.
2: (laughs) It's the best. That's so sorry.
0: (laughs) But you will be for your daughters. I will be for my daughters. You're right.
2: (laughs) You just can't
1: win. can't win. can't win. Yeah.
0: I have found that shifting my macros slightly, exactly kind of what you're saying, upping my protein, that's been so key And, you know, since I'm upping my protein, something's got to come down, downing my carbs somewhat, still within a healthy range. But doing that really seems to help just energy and glucose stability
2: and weight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I didn't get to the second part of my, my, well, no, no, it's just me. I forgot my, you know, I just get lost in my train of thought. But so I gained 10 pounds. I probably lost five or six, but I don't think I'm probably going to lose the rest either because I'm not willing to starve myself. Yeah. And you know, my metabolism isn't what it used to be. So, and Hillary and I say this all the time. We say it in the book, you've got to be able to live with it. And you were talking, Carolyn, about getting rid of some of your carbs. I what I did is I just stopped picking on things, you know, mm-hmm. and I really upped my protein. I felt much more satisfied. I didn't care about eating between meals anymore. So it's a it's a it's a it's a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. So, um, you know, that's just my experience and, and, and everyone's perimenopause and their menopause journey is unique and you do have to find what you, you know, what's right for you and what you can live with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like what's right for you, what you can live with. And again, like you said, you just, there's some elements of, I just don't want to starve or I don't want to just, you know, eat, twigs and berries um I want to be able to go out with my family and my kids and you know my friends and that sort of thing
2: yeah yeah but there is some acceptance that you know you can't eat like you did at 25 and if you continue to do that then you won't you know you won't be as healthy as you possibly can you may not look the way you know you want to but you know, acceptance is big and Hillary is really, she's really good at that. I mean, I've really, she's really taught me a lot about that, but just, you know, accept that your body does change.
0: Yeah. Wow. This has been so helpful. It really
2: has. Is it's been there great.
0: anything, Liz, that you feel like we didn't cover or that you really want to share or just any knowledge you want to pass along or
2: tips? Um, I think that, you know, I would hope that women seek out reliable sources about menopause. As I mentioned, the Menopause Manifesto is an excellent place to start. Of course, I think our book is very good, too. Um, But to not not to gravitate towards the quick fix, because the quick fix is exactly that. It fixes you quickly, but it does not sustain you. And it takes you know, some, some work maybe to change. Um, But don't be so hard on yourself. You know, Um, this is a phase of life that um, it's going to happen. You know, it's happening. And we need to accept that and work with it instead of trying to constantly fight it by starving ourselves and trying to look like we did at 25 or 30. So, Um, I would just say, you know, just to leave your listeners with that idea that, you know, um that that it's okay. It it it's okay for your body to change. And um we just need to make sure how to, you know, get through and prepare ourselves for this next life in a safe way and in a healthy way and an enjoyable way. So true. Love
1: that. Tell listeners where they can find you and Hillary.
2: Okay, so we're on Instagram at Menopause Diet Plan. Um, We're on Facebook at Menopause Diet Plan. We're on TikTok at Menopause Diet Plan. Um, Just so (laughs) to cut through any confusion. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And they can find our book online um, at Amazon and any other online booksellers and in in bookstores.
1: Yeah, and, and the title for listeners is The Menopause Diet Plan. A Natural Guide to Managing Hormones, Health, and Happiness. And that is by you, Liz Ward, and also Hillary
2: Wright. Mm-hmm. Who's also a dietitian. Yes. yes.
1: Yes. Well, this is lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
2: It's great. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm
0: Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new
1: episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye.
0: The contents discussed in the Happy Eating podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice diagnosis or treatment always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the happy eating podcast
1: if you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency call your doctor or 911 immediately If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.